You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We want to welcome you this morning and we want to especially extend a very special welcome to family and friends of Adam and Tyson as they're here uh, for this special ordination service today. It's a special weekend all around for us here at Sovereign Hope Church. We have the opportunity to ordain our very first lay elders here. Um, this has been a process that's been ongoing really for the past four years when the conversation initially began uh, for us to plant Sovereign Hope Church. And um, so we've tried to take this process very slow and very intentional. And so we're excited to celebrate the ending of this process for Adam and Tyson as they're ordained today as elders of our church. Um, we have the opportunity to celebrate today um, over lunch and a pool party at Anna's house. And so you're invited to participate in us or with us in that. And then also, uh, just as a reminder to our church family, uh, we have the privilege and opportunity to serve our community tomorrow uh, with the Memorial Day celebration. I invite you to uh, participate, to sign up on the city if you haven't already done so. I'm just excited about all that God's doing here at our church, excited about the opportunity to celebrate this weekend together um, and also serve together this weekend. So I want to extend that welcome to everybody that's able to be here with us today. We are privileged to, um, as we've said already, to ordain Adam and Tyson, and we're going to walk through some different things this morning together, but um, we're privileged to have uh, Ryan and Cindy and, and their new daughter, Omi, with us this morning. Um, Ryan and Cindy are, Cindy's my cousin, um, Ryan's the pastor down at Ecclesia in Noonan, he was the former youth pastor at Mount Gilead before um, I came in after he left, and so uh, it's also a, a cool thing to think about having four uh, generations of spiritual discipleship here this morning because Ryan poured into me uh, at a time in my life when I was coming out of school, um, took over for him at Mount Gilead, continued that process of pouring into Tyson, and now there's people that are a part of our church because Tyson has poured into them. And so just neat to think, you know, the privilege that we have Ryan being here, but just uh, encouraging him to see the fruits of his labor um, that have been extended through this church. And so um, Ryan has been gracious enough to come this morning just speak briefly uh, both to Adam and Tyson and to our church about Adam and Tyson, and then he and his family are going to have to head out quickly so that he can get down to his church to preach this morning. So I'm going to invite Ryan to come and to share um, as a beginning point for our service today. Put this uh, Garth Brooks get up here. <laughs> Ours is just the same, so I'm used to it. We're good friends. Um, well, uh, thank you for having me. Um, Adam, your dear brother, and um, you <clears throat> who sit here today have a, um, not a good man in a pastor, you have a great, great minister who knows what it means to love and shepherd his people, who knows what it means to handle accurately the word of God. Increasingly, um, as life goes on and ministry continues, it's astounding to see men with proper training who do not know how to handle God's word. And I can tell you with a lot of confidence that uh, your pastor knows what the Bible means and how to bring it to bear. Um, Adam has went, uh, don't let Adam fool you. The truth is Adam has went from uh, being anything that I would have poured into at once to being a peer, uh, theologically obviously, and, and is someone who 
I go to and is teaching me at the moment through Romans. <laughs> so um, you have a dear, dear man here in, in your midst. Um, speaking of good men in your midst, and that would bring us to Tyson and Adam. So my job this morning is to do two things, is to speak um, directly to these men and then to have uh, the daunting challenge of speaking to you about them. And so what it's going to be is uh, just kind of a really quick and formal um, look at their lives from my seat um, as I've had the privilege of either A, being related to them uh, or uh, having Tyson come up in my youth group uh, with when he was in puberty. Well, there you go. I said it, right? Um, so, uh, and, and, and then yet up all the way through um, and, and now, of course, having the privilege of seeing them uh, at the most difficult of times, and that's early, early in the morning, all the way through work, and see how they conduct themselves vocationally, professionally, uh, in, in terms of all that. So um, let, me, let me just pray for us, if I can, uh, as, as we open this up. Lord, we want to give you credit as, it, as a time where we can uh, come and speak of men it is so tempting to lose sight of you who give us inequality at all. And so we look to you this morning. We thank you for your grace to us. We thank you that you can give holy orders or ordination to men, that you can qualify them, that the church can look at them and, and place their hands on them, as it were, and say, go, shepherd well, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel, be the first impression of Christ to all that you know and make the world your church. So we pray, God, that you would be supreme today. That um, as we teach about this office, that we would not lose sight of uh, our good shepherd, our great shepherd, and our supreme overseer, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your good name. Amen. So uh, a few things that I want to do. Adam is going to talk more thoroughly about, I think, biblical qualification uh, and, and what it maybe looks like manifested here in your own location. Uh, for those of you who know anything about eldership at all or church polity or church governance who holds to sort of a, a, a I guess it would have to call it a reformed view of what government looks like, you would know uh, that we hold not congregationally uh, in terms of a government, but men who are qualified according to Titus chapter 1, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and 1 Peter chapter 5, bring to bear uh, the, the holy orders. That's what it is. So uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's holy orders, it's government. It, it, we call it ordination, but that, that is what it is. You're being ordained, you have holy orders. I mean, this is a sacred moment um, for you to go and do your task. Uh, I'm just going to read one of those, and that's First Peter chapter 5, and then talk to you, you guys a little bit about these characters here today. Um, Therefore, I exert, exhort the elders among you as uh, your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and as partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but uh, voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, uh, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive your unfading crown of glory, which is the uh, championing uh, message and namesake of this church is having its hope in, in the future coming of Christ. Uh, gentlemen, you have, a, it's a tall order. Uh, you have a tall order. Um, if, if you s- go to um, a wedding ceremony and you think back to there to the time where uh, the Lord made two, two one flesh, um, you would think that a responsibility to come and love a woman like Christ loves the church is a tall order. And I'm here to tell you today that being an elder is an equally tall order. It is. Um, and so my encouragement to you before I talk to these folks about you <laughs> um, is that you keep your focus on the gospel. You, you're being ordained today to nothing else but gospel ministry. More than likely, your certificate, unless it's completely defunct, will say gospel ministry, gospel minister, uh, and that's because we don't have holy orders for something that's detached from the gospel. Uh, and, and what's so sad about that is we have ordination certificates uh, in boxes, on walls, or in offices all over America, and we have men who have forgotten gospel centrality. They are not gospel literate. They do not know what it means to personally forgive. They don't know what it means. Uh, they, they, they've forgotten what the gospel is. They don't know that it's the power of God and the salvation. They can't give you a proper definition of what it is as in death, burial, and resurrection. They can't bring substitution into the gospel and tell you that we've been delivered from death into life. And so I'm telling you, never, never forget the gospel. So I'll give the quick clip from John Piper that is very well, and when he says, you never, 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 never outgrow your need for the gospel, it'll be very important that you understand that. It's important that your wives see it in your lives, that they see the gospel, that they, that you under, that they understand grace and second chance because you're the head of your home. Uh, so I would encourage you there. And in the context of of this church and, and being a fellow elder to your pastor, that you would understand what grace uh, grace is, uh, and 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 be gracious, uh, and and appreciate the, the very the simplicity of the gospel that you're to handle, not only from a proclamation or a declaration stance, but but from a demonstrative one, and that is that you'd be living it out, uh, and that you're to do it before a watching world. If you're to err, you're to err on the side of the gospel, and that is grace. Uh, You leave vengeance to God. Um, There are times where you're going to have to bring discipline to bear, and that's going to be some of the hardest days of your life. Um, And I know your pastor believes in it because it's biblical. We haven't outgrown the gospel, right, Uh, and gospel discipline because it's redemptive at the end of the day. But you have to do it, and you have to do it. So uh, first we've got the charge to holy orders, um, uh, gospel centrality. You're going to have the word gospel on your certificate. That's, that's what it is. Secondly, I would encourage you to be thoroughly, thoroughly biblically masculine. Thoroughly biblically masculine. Uh, and and, and what, what I mean by that is I'll use, borrow a definition from Doug Wilson if I can. I think both of you are familiar with him. Uh, Doug Wilson said... Uh, Biblical masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. I can't sum up biblical masculinity any more 
than that. It means that you're ultimately responsible. It is a shadow, really, uh, your elder role and the masculine role of it. It's a shadow of uh, your headship in marriage. You're always to take one for the team. You're always the one to be uh, the individual who is willing to apologize or say I'm wrong or could have done it differently because you're willing to sacrifice and take responsibility where you're wrong. We recently had a, a couple from who was they were seminary trained came to our church, I guess, a year ago, and were baffled because um, we had leaders in our church who would openly talk about how they were wrong. And friends, that should not be the case. You, you should be able to, to, to take fault upon yourself when it happens. And, and then outside of that kind of responsibility, just responsibility in general, just being sacrificial, just understanding that from a perspective of first mentions in terms of biblical interpretation, that when we see the word sacrifice, and worship used interchangeably in Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac, that should mean something to you. I'm going to take my son, and we're going to go up, and we're going to worship. What he meant was, we're going to go sacrifice. So living a life of biblical masculinity and embracing the definition of biblical masculinity, being the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility, means that you know how to worship. That's what it means. So... Um, I, I think that both of you are um, thoroughly qualified for this post. I will tell you that you have a, a holy, uh, a, a, an evil trinity to come up against your office and will want to destroy you and your marriage, your pastor, your relationship with him and this church. Um, the flesh, the world, and the devil, as Martin Luther called his holy evil trinity, um, this set-apart evil trinity. Uh, unfortunately, you have all that you need for life and godliness for this office. You need not be afraid. Uh, you should embrace the victory of God and everything that God has made available to you. So uh, that would segue me into talking to this church about these men. And I, I, I don't need to say this, but I, I suppose it would help to have an outside perspective if I, in fact, can say that I'm an outsider. I've worked with these men for years at Chick-fil-A. They... Uh, in, in my opinion, if, you, if you, you can really see a man when you hear him pray and you, when you see him at work, when you can, you, the litmus test of a man, in, in my mind, is always when, listen to a man pray, Leonard Ravenhill, the great Scottish revivalist said, and I'll tell you how he stands with God. Um, and two, how he, how he operates himself at work. And I've had the privilege of praying with uh, and living a life with both of these young men, Tyson being a student in my youth group um, many years ago, and then on with Adam, who has done a masterful job of uh, continuing the task of bringing both of these men um, through candidacy and into uh, qualification. And here they are, God properly um, qualifying them. Um, these men love Christ. Um, they do their jobs at work thoroughly well. They do it with excellence. They love people around them, and they operate with grace. And I'm going to just go ahead and tell you that I don't operate with the same grace, right? Uh, because sometimes work is just really, really, really hard. Um, and people are really, really, really unlovely a lot, right? And yet God calls us to thoroughly love the unlovely uh, with a lot of passion. 
as he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, what reward do you have if you only love those who love you? And these men have, I, I see that happening. Now, they are not without flaw, right? They're not the Messiah for crying out loud. Um, but they do do their jobs well. And I've worked with them enough in enough circumstances and situations to see the gospel and the consequences of these holy orders that you receive uh, working out themselves. And I am proud, quite an unbiblical word. I'll say I'm thankful and grateful for you and for your example, really. Um, I, I've, I've seen, uh, both of you just in the course of my life, um, as Adam is the individual who I first hug when I get off that plane with my little girl and we both just crying all each other, like blubbering idiots, you know, uh, down to having Tyson walk into my office, uh, as a young 14 year old, uh, really struggling with some circumstances in his life, having come all the way from his house on foot and crying his eyeballs out and, uh, us, um, meeting there together and praying with Christ together and sojourned with these men uh, for a while and telling you from my outside perspective, um, they are most definitely ready uh, to do it. I think MacArthur said it well, Adam, uh, and that is that uh, the deaconry and the elder board, they really sort of qualify themselves in front of us, don't they? And it's our job just to kind of recognize what has already happened. So, I will uh, leave uh, the blessing uh, of Aaron on you when he says, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he give you peace. Thank you. I think it's worth asking the question, why, uh, why are we doing an ordination? Why is an ordination necessary? What are the benefits uh, of doing this? And couple of reasons. One is to celebrate what, what the Holy Spirit and Christ has done in these two men's lives, but it's also a, uh, an opportunity to appeal um, to the men in our church to see what has happened in these guys' lives and to pursue Christ as passionately in their own life. Uh, because as we participate in this ordination this morning, this is not uh, my hope. It's not that it's the last ordination service that takes place here at Sovereign Hope. Um, I had the opportunity to go back and listen to my ordination service that took place just a little over two years ago when we were still meeting at the Freeman Sasser and the, the external elders from Snowbird came down and uh, they even referenced the hope of being able to see Adam and Tyson ordained in the future. Um, and my hope is that we will continue to see men raised up in our church that meet these qualifications that have... Uh, demonstrated faithfulness in their own life. And so today is an appeal to our men. It's a, it's a charge to our men um, that we need these type of individuals to continue to grow up in our church um, so that we can task them with this formal gospel ministry uh, that we're doing so today. We're also following the pattern that we see in Scripture of public ordination. It's opportunity to externally affirm what's already taking place internally in these guys' lives. So the call has already been placed upon them, and they've already responded to that call. Today is an external opportunity for us to affirm that, and we see that being the pattern in Scripture. First, in Acts 13, we see uh, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Saul at that time, pulled out from the midst of that congregation and tasked to go with the gospel and there was a formal service for that where the hands of the elders were placed upon those two men and they were tasked formally 
with that uh, opportunity. In 1 Timothy, uh, Paul references back to Timothy's ordination at least three different times. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So Paul encourages Timothy with his, his uh, gospel responsibilities, and he reminds him of that day. He says, remember that day when the elders of your church laid their hands upon you and tasked you with this responsibility. He continues in 1 Timothy 5, verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. So there's also the responsibility on the church to not be hasty in this process. And uh, in, in, in all of the efforts leading up to planting Sovereign Hope, and then even in that first two years as we were looking at what other churches were doing, one thing that concerned me greatly was how hasty other churches were in affirming elder leadership. Uh, it was almost seen as a necessity. We've got to find uh, a few men that can be elders with the lead pastor, and they were picking and choosing men that maybe had not demonstrated a, a, a long enough time of faithfulness to warrant that type of office. And I've seen men fall by the wayside that were too hastily uh, appointed to this type of position. And so from the very beginning, uh, we wanted to be very slow in the process. And so while many of us would have affirmed four years ago that these men were willing, ready, and able to serve as elders, we did not want to be hasty in that process, which is why we asked the men at Snowbird to serve as external elders. Uh, so these men could prove uh, their faithfulness uh, in serving this church so that as we come to today, it really is a point of celebration that we can celebrate the faithfulness that they've shown over the past four years. In First Timothy, uh, or 2 Timothy 1, verse 6, Paul says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So today we we follow, we model the biblical example that we see in Paul's ministry as he was planting churches, as he was tasking individuals to raise up elders. Uh, this seems to be the process that they formally did within their churches to publicly affirm men who had demonstrated the qualifications of being an elder. In trying to, and, and hopefully in charging our men, I want to briefly describe just the process of what it's looked like for these guys to get to this point today. Uh, as a reminder to our men, the process that they too uh, can participate in to get to this point. Uh, what is an elder? Specifically, what is an elder here at Sovereign Hope Church? Because the term elder can be um, defined differently based on the local church setting. And so we set out very early on with our church plant to define what an elder was going to look like here at Sovereign Hope. The elder body has been entrusted by God with the governing care and oversight of this local church through the avenues of teaching, protecting, leading, disciplining, equipping, and caring for the corporate church body and her individual members. The elders bear the responsibility of obediently leading the church to carry out the timeless vision of Christ for his church in a way that is relevant for today. An elder is one who has embraced the call to move from simply being a part of the feeding flock to becoming a flock feeder. He seeks to graze the flock on the word, 
guard the flock from false teaching, and guide the flock on their homeward journey. An elder is defined by both the qualifications and role responsibilities laid out in Scripture. So ultimately, Tyson and Adam are assuming the responsibility today to lead this flock, to lead this church, to feed this flock formally, to teach this flock. Uh, it's one of the, the main qualifications of an elder that sets it apart from uh, simply being a deacon, a, a serving leader within our church. It's that responsibility to teach. Uh, and you've seen these guys demonstrate their ability to teach. Uh, and it may not always be in the formal setting of a sermon. Um, we're blessed to have Tyson who teaches us through song. You know, I was blessed this morning to see my son singing Tyson's songs in the back of our car on the way to church. And it's so encouraging to know that Tyson is teaching both the, the oldest in our church to the youngest in our church. And I remember when you guys sent me to the church planning conference, um, way back when we were first beginning, that I was having a conversation with Bob Coughlin, who is, you know, real big in the Sovereign Grace worship uh, ministry. And so we were having a conversation, and I was asking him about uh, worship leader within a church plant. Does he need to be an elder? And, you know, he point blank told me, he said, if you can find somebody that can, that can lead musically and meets the qualifications of an elder and can serve in that function, he said, then you're set. He said, those are few and far between. He said, you can find people that can lead music, you can find people that lead churches, but it's rare that you can find somebody that can do both. So our church is very privileged to have both of these men with their different gifts and talents and abilities. And what I appreciate so much is that they're very different from me. They're very different from each other. They're very different from me, which provides more talents and abilities. It would be unnecessary if these guys were exactly like me. Uh, but the fact that they are so different uh, only increases what our church is getting today through this ordination. Who's qualified to be an elder? A person desiring the position of elder must first meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. In addition, elders are to be male covenant members who subscribe to the statement of faith here at Sovereign Hope Church and are actively serving within this local church ministry. Let's take just a short amount of time here to look at these qualifications because this is what we're affirming together today in the lives of these men. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete, Paul talking to Titus, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be, may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, 
or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Paul gives these qualifications, and I believe that these men overwhelmingly meet these qualifications. And I know you guys believe that as well. Um, I know that you've seen them uh, even previously to these four years. And it's a testimony to their families and friends that are joining us today. And the effort that they have put into pouring into these two men as they've been raised to be these godly men that they are today. And we're excited to be able to celebrate what the the work of the Holy Spirit has done. But we're excited as well because we know that moving forward today, they are going to be pouring into our church. They're going to be teaching the gospel. And that men men and women are going to reap the benefits and the fruit of their ministry. And they meet these qualifications. These are two of the best men that I know. Um, I've had the privilege of, of seeing them grow up in their faith. And, and as, as Ryan attested to, uh, there was a point where maybe they weren't viewed as peers. They were viewed as um, younger than me, uh, in need of theological training. And, and these men are now considered peers in my mind. Um, when, when I came to Mount Gilead, uh, Tyson was still very young, and I've seen him grow, and uh, I've seen Adam grow so much since, since uh, my sister brought him into our family, um, and I've seen him mature. And these men meet these qualifications overwhelmingly, but it's not just about being a, a godly man, and, and so these guys, these qualifications aren't meant to give us a picture of, of a super Christian that only a few in our church are going to end up being like. These character traits, these qualities are a charge for all of the people in our church to be. It's not that you're only going to have one or two of these in your church, and, and, and when they're these type of people, you make them elders. This is what we're supposed to be. Scripture tells us to be holy as God is holy. So, and I've told you this before, my hope is that we have so many people that are qualified to be an elder of our church that we get to, to simply have, we're forced with the decision to pick who will be in this position. This is a charge for everyone to be this type of individual, to be this type of Christian, to pursue sanctification to this level. What sets these individuals apart is their desire for this position. Paul tells Timothy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. So an elder here at Sovereign Hope is someone who's motivated. He desires to lead, shepherd, and guide others for the sake of Christ's glory. So there's going to be individuals, men, godly men, who meet these qualifications, but don't have that inward desire to lead and to teach. And that's okay. That is perfectly okay. We want every man in our church, every woman in our church, to pursue these character traits, to be this type of person through the power of the Holy Spirit. But in the midst of that pursuit of sanctification, there will be certain men that God places a call upon their life, creates an inward desire to lead and to teach. And that's why we don't approach men in our church about being elders. We don't have you submit names for who you think would make a good elder. Because we don't want anybody being talked into or persuaded into this position because somebody else thinks they would do a good job. I believe that Scripture says that man will desire this. That man will be compelled to do this. This man will 
will not be able to stay away from this because of the prompting of the Holy Spirit. An elder is someone who's responsible. He's willing and able to stand with other elders of sovereign hope to give an account one day for the souls of this church body. So I want you that are visiting with us today to understand the weight and responsibility that these two men are assuming today. Because I believe Scripture is very clear that there will come a day where the three of us, and hopefully more, as we raise up more elders, but at least at this point, the three of us will stand before God one day and give an account, give an account for how we've led this church. Scripture's clear about this in um, Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I know Tyson and Adam are aware of this, and I've reminded them throughout this process that they will give an account. They will give an account for how they handle this task, this ministry that they're being given today. There will be a a formal reckoning that we will give before God. So it's of utmost importance that we ordain these men based on their qualifications, based on their calling, because of how serious this is. In James 3.1, we're reminded that not many should do this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 1 Peter 5, 1-2, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for, shame, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's an expectation when Christ returns that, that we as elders in this church are doing our job biblically. And we assume that responsibility. An elder is also one who is capable. He's setting an example through his life, both in belief and conduct, that is worthy of calling others to follow. As we ordain these men, we are publicly setting them before you and telling you to be like these men, to believe the promises of God like these men are doing, to conduct yourself in your daily life like these men are doing. It is a huge responsibility, a huge task that they are assuming today, and and I'm thankful that they are willing. I'm thankful through the, the Holy Spirit's prompting that they desire this. And I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit and Him qualifying them to take on this responsibility. How does one become an elder here at Sovereign Hope? We, we encourage our men to examine themselves based on the qualifications that I've already read to you. To examine themselves to see if they are disqualified. Now, any man who is, who is walking in the Spirit is going to look at these qualifications and critique himself and say, man, I'm not where I need to be according to these qualifications. And so we, we never expect a man to look at these and say, I have arrived spiritually. I am all of these things. I am qualified. Instead, we use these qualifications to make sure that someone is not disqualified. Is there, is there any reason to look at these and say, well, he is definitely not this? So we encourage our men to constantly examine themselves against these qualifications. And as they see that while they want to grow, 
that they are pursuing these things, if that desire exists for them to come to the elders of our church and express that desire to pursue ordination as an elder, when that expression is made by an individual in our church, there's an evaluation process by the elders. And so as Adam and Tyson expressed this desire, there was affirmation from me that I believed that they were qualified. And they entered into what we call a testing and training type period. They became elder apprentices where they began to serve with me, serve under me, work with me in the growth and development of this church. And and what's unique, I think, about the way we want to do elders here is that this could be for any individual in our church, no matter how young they are. Hey, I want to be an elder one day. I have this, this prompting, this calling. And so this, this apprenticeship is an indefinite period where men just begin to grow in intentional discipleship with our elders. And when they reach the point where they are now in the, view, in the eyes and in the views of the elders to be qualified, they enter into a nine-month candidacy period. And that's where you begin to see them, or you will begin to see them in the future, preach before the church to demonstrate their, their calling, their desire to lead this church. And Adam and Tyson did that. Uh, we, we formally introduced them to you uh, last year, said that we're, we're doing this for nine months. You're going to see them preaching. You're going to see them teaching. You're going to see them assuming more and more responsibility. And at the end of that testing period, we had the examination process where we brought you guys in, gave you opportunities to ask questions. So after eight months, uh, we begin this final month stretch where anybody that has any reason to think that these men are not qualified were invited to come and express those things. And obviously, overwhelmingly, uh, everyone in our church affirms these men as being qualified, ready, and able to lead our church. And they begin that service now after confirmation today. Expectations for them moving forward, we expect them to be lovers of the word and lovers of the church. An elder is one who leads the church based on guidance from the word. He is to pursue doctrinal stability within his teaching and counseling by his own personal study. He is to always be ready to teach, and he is to protect the flock from any variance of the apostles' teaching that the church is founded upon. So these men, their, their growth and knowledge about God's word does not stop today. As they are uh, given more and more opportunities to counsel and teach within this church, it becomes all the more necessary for them to pursue Christ in their own personal study. So as they counsel and teach, there is consistency and unity in the things that they're saying. I've told you guys before, I never, never, never want to stand up here, teach something, and then two years later have to change it. Say, oh, after further study, I don't, I don't see things that way anymore. And that's why I'm so meticulous. That's why I'm so diligent to study passages of Scripture and study it so thoroughly that I don't believe I'll ever have to come back and change what I think about that passage. And these men are tasked with that responsibility to love the Word in such a way that they're consistent and unified in the things that they're telling you as a church family. As they counsel you and shepherd your hearts, there needs to be consistency and unity, both in what you're hearing from your lead shepherd but also what you continue to hear from them moving forward. They're also to be lovers of the church. They're to demonstrate their love for the church through personal discipling relationships, through a mission-minded and hospitable schedule, through regular prayer and intercession, and through care and discipline for the members of Sovereign Hope. They're to pour their lives into you, and you can expect that. I know many of you have expected that leading up to this point, but now formally you can expect this. 
You can expect them to pour everything they have into this church. They've assumed that responsibility today. I told you that for the most part, you're not going to see a whole lot of change from what you've currently been seeing with these guys. The change is really going to happen behind the scenes. So, so they've been teaching, they've been leading, they've been acting like elders ever since we planted this church. The change really happens behind the scenes now where we meet as elders and they are completely responsible now with me in making decisions that involve this church family. Whereas previously we have leaned on the external elders, so I've sought advice from Adam and Tyson. I've gotten input from Adam and Tyson, but ultimately the responsibility has fallen on me to make final decisions through uh, the input of our external elders. Because formerly I was the one who had assumed responsibility to stand before God one day and give an account for these decisions. So as much as I appreciated their input and oftentimes took their input, they had not yet assumed responsibility. So at the end of the day, it was me that was on the hook for any decisions that were made for our church. That changes today. They now become responsible. And it's now also a change that has to happen within me to now lead this church as three versus as one. And so their input becomes all the more valuable, and it can be all the more trusted because I know that in giving it, they know that one day they'll give an account for it. It's easy to give your advice and easy to give your opinions when you're not going to be held accountable for it. Everybody has an opinion when that's the case. But when you have to answer for it, it puts all the more weight on your words, and that becomes reality for us today. The elders serve this body of believers by maintaining a lifestyle of continued learning, leading a small group as a means of teaching the word, teaching at various times in different formats, searching for false doctrines that spring up in mainstream Christianity, working to inform the church of their error, developing a teaching direction for the church, meeting with other men in our church for accountability and encouragement, participating regularly and faithfully in the activities of the church, meeting the spiritual and physical needs of specific families assigned to their ministry. I'm thankful that moving forward from today, this responsibility doesn't fall on me alone anymore. These men have, have assumed that responsibility. They're qualified. The Holy Spirit has qualified them. Uh, not in their own efforts, not in their own diligence to pursue Christ, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, He has qualified them. And, and He has given the talents and the gifts and the abilities, the spiritual giftings to this church. This is a gift from God today, that he has gifted these men and then given these men to our church to lead us, uh, to serve us, um, to contribute to this church family as we together seek to advance God's kingdom. Um, and I'm thankful for these two men today. I'm going to have them come and, and sit up here with me. I'm going to borrow these two chairs. If they'll come join me. I'm going to have their wives join them here in just a minute. The, the danger today is that in, in formally and publicly tasking these men with this responsibility is that it now increases the 
uh, awareness and the priority of attack, I believe, from the enemy. Um, so in assuming this responsibility, I believe that they have to, to heighten their awareness that t- attacks will come um, and that the attacks will be great. And I don't, anytime we talk about, you know, Ryan was, was mentioning how, you know, there's an environment at their church where they're able to share where they're struggling, share their failures. I don't ever want you to get the picture that you need to be overly concerned when we talk about our elders fighting sin and fighting temptation. I don't want you to start to wonder, man, are they like giving in to stuff? Are they like, do we need to be concerned? Are they disqualifying themselves? When we talk about fighting, um, and, and I'm blessed to be in accountability with these guys, when we talk about fighting, we want to be proactive. We want to recognize that if, if I just allow myself to go, if, I just, if I'm not consistent and diligent to walk in the Spirit, my flesh will rear its head. And so we want to be diligent to fight up front, to be proactive in our fighting, to confess our sin to each other. Um, and we want to fight against uh, temptation. And just because we're elders doesn't mean that we don't encounter temptation. Um, but we want to be extremely careful and guarded um, because we recognize that the attacks are great. And so my challenge to both of you, both of you guys is that while you're qualified with what Scripture says, is that you can also disqualify yourself. And in thinking about this, there's been many people that have been ordained, and there's been many people that have disqualified themselves from their ordination. Um, and you rarely, maybe ever, have somebody step down because they stop being hospitable, right? Like nobody ever resigns and says, you know, I'm here to, to confess to you that I'm not hospitable, and so I'm having to resign from, from being your pastor, Maybe we should have more that do that, uh, but, but that is rare. I've never heard of that. Um, when you do see men that have disqualified themselves from the ministry, it usually involves a sexual failure or a financial failure. Um, and, and, and those qualifications are built in here that we're to appoint men who are one-woman men and are not lovers of money. And so my charge to you guys this morning is to protect your families to protect your families, to be content with what God has given you because it's discontentment that leads men to to, uh, pursue dishonest gain, to begin to make poor financial decisions that ultimately will eventually disqualify them from their ministry, Uh, to protect your family financially, to make good, smart financial decisions, to seek wisdom and counsel uh, when maybe there is some type of financial struggle, to not assume that responsibility on your own. While I want to continue to ordain people in our church, I never want to have to stand here and describe and and, and relate to our church that someone has disqualified themselves from their ordination. In addition to protect your family, to protect your wife and your marriage relationship from sexual failure, to guard your time, to guard yourselves from your flesh, to know and to reckon and to yield yourself to the things that we've been learning learning about in Romans, that there are promises to believe, promises to believe about sex, promises to believe about relationship with your wife, promises to believe about God's provision financially, to believe those promises, to know them, and to reckon them to be true in your life, and then to yield yourselves to righteous purposes. Protect your families. Don't disqualify yourselves. Recognize that the the attacks are going to be great. The temptation is going to be greater. 
And you still have the responsibility through the power of the Holy Spirit to qualify yourself in this area day after day. Secondly, to fulfill your ministry. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready when your pastor is sick and calls upon you to preach and gives you 24 hours notice. Be diligent in the word where you're capable of doing that. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You guys have a special calling placed upon your life. You're seeing that calling fulfilled today. As Brian's already shared with you, it's a, it's a calling to proclaim the gospel, which is a calling that all of us have, a calling that all of us are to assume. But Adam and Tyson assume it from a formal standpoint today. They assume the responsibility to lead you in that proclamation of the gospel, to set the example in both belief and conduct, for you to follow them as they follow Christ. I want to read to you our elder covenant before I lay my hands upon these guys and pray over them. As elders of Sovereign Hope Church, we affirm this covenant with one another by God's grace for the good of Christ's church and ultimately for God's glory. As shepherds and overseers of this local church, we embrace the trust given to us by God to govern, protect, lead, teach, equip, and care for the corporate church body and her individual members by seeking to perform the following duties. Number one, to be willing to stand with the other elders and give an account on Judgment Day for souls in our church. Number two, to be the type of person that people need to obey and want to obey. Number three, to lead and guide the church with other elders in a direction that is biblically based and Christ-exalting. Number four, to pursue doctrinal stability in the areas that Scripture is clear and handle the word rightly in all matters of life, whether through public proclamation, private counsel, or exemplary lifestyle. Number five, to be ready to teach at any given time as a minister of the word. Number six, to protect the church from false teachings and ensure that she is instead fed the word in a clear, unadulterated manner. Number seven, to be pursuing discipleship, mentorship type relationships within the church. Number eight, to participate regularly and faithfully in the activities of the church. Number nine, to be actively hospitable with your week. Number ten, to pray earnestly for the sanctification of individual members and the overall health of the church's growth and mission. Number eleven, to equip the members of this church for the work of the ministry. Number twelve, to join other elders in pursuing deep, meaningful relationships within the elder body and striving to encourage, protect, and provide for one another as we shepherd together to serve as an example to the flock. And lastly, to join members in fulfilling the obligations of church membership stated in our church member covenant. Do you guys agree to that this morning? I'm going to invite their wives to come and stand with them.
Please stand next to them. If you want to sit in your leather laps, you can. And following with the example in Scripture, we're going to pray over these guys and um, commission them this morning publicly, formally, to something that they're already doing, something they're already qualified to do. Um, But today they assume that responsibility fully to lead this church in the way that God has called them to. Father, we praise you and thank you for these two men. And Father, I thank you for uh, just the sovereignty that you've demonstrated in bringing these two men into my life. Uh, Father, as I look back on circumstances and situations, I know it would have been very easy for choices and decisions to be made that would have caused us to never cross paths. And God, there's been opportunities and times where we could have separated over the past few years, where we could have gone in different directions and continued to do ministry. But Father, I'm thankful that you have intertwined our hearts where we have a desire to not only serve you, but to serve you together. So Father, I'm thankful for their hearts. I'm thankful for uh, the wide uh, variety of talents and abilities and giftings that you've bestowed upon these men. Father, I'm thankful that uh, in giving these two men as a gift to our church, that you have chosen to raise up men that are strong in areas that I'm weak. And Father, I'm thankful that our church becomes healthier because these men are now established as leaders of our church. So God, I'm thankful that you've, you've never designed it or set it to where one man was supposed to fulfill all these responsibilities. Because God, we know that um, there's, there's really no one that's capable of doing that. That you've chosen to give different gifts and abilities to different individuals so that we have to rely on each other as we ultimately submit ourselves to you. Father, I pray that you would Continue to lead these men through your Holy Spirit to protect their families. God, I pray that you would equip them, guide them, give them the wisdom they need as they raise up their children. Father, I pray that they would temper their discipline with grace. Father, that they would be an accurate picture of you as as father to their children. God, I pray that you would give them the grace they need in, in shepherding their wives. Father, help them to uh, first tend to their responsibilities at home before tending to responsibilities here. Father, I pray that you would guard their contentment, specifically in the area of finances. Father, I pray that you would protect them from the unhealthy love of money. Father, I pray that they would be content with the money that you provide for them. Guard them from dishonest gain and the temptations that are available to them. Father, help them to be wise with their financial choices and decisions. God, I pray that they would be humble in seeking wisdom versus relying on their own understanding. Father, I pray that you would guard and protect their relationship with their wives. Father, I pray that you would protect them from attacks from the enemy in this area. God, I pray that you would protect them emotionally. God, I pray that you would guard their hearts. Father, we know that it's... uh, it's going to be necessary for them to, to interact with women, to have uh, necessary relationships with other females. Father, we pray that you would guard and protect them in that. God, help them to be aware of the attacks. Help them to be guarded against those attacks. Father, keep their hearts aligned with their wives. Father, they have demonstrated they are one-woman one woman type men. 
God, I pray that they would continue to be those type of men. Their heart's devotion would be to their wife that you have given to them as a gift. Father, I pray that you would use their ministry within this church to build your kingdom. God, I pray that you would use their ability to teach, to grow our church up in their faith. God, I pray that you would use them to sanctify our church because we know that's your will for our life, our sanctification. And Father, we are thankful that you have given men like Tyson and Adam to this church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Father, I pray that they would be diligent to that calling. God, I pray that they would fulfill that calling. And God, I pray on the day of judgment when we stand before you, that the three of us will rejoice together with you as we're held accountable for this church, God, that we will be able to stand confidently knowing that we have been faithful to the very end. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can go back to your seats. As we prepare to leave today, I want to encourage you as a church family to continue to pray for these guys, to encourage these guys. Um, the enemy loves to attack uh, through the means of discouragement. And so I, I pray that you would pray for these guys, that you would actively seek to encourage these men, to encourage their wives. Um, their wives are committing to give up their husbands to this task as well. Um, there's many a night where, where these men are uh, fulfilling responsibilities for this church uh, because of this task, um, where they would be... Um, they would have every right to be at home with their families. And, and, and they're sacrificing that time to, to do the work of the ministry, to, to lead this church. And so uh, their wives are necessarily giving up parts of their husband today as well for this task. And so be in prayer for their wives. Encourage their wives um, as they um, willingly, in an effort to serve our church, um, sacrifice time with their husbands so that this church can be led properly. So I encourage you with that this morning as well. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you. We celebrate this morning. Um, we're so thankful for your grace and mercy in our life. Um, Father, we pray that you would continue to use us, continue to um, use us to further your kingdom. We thank you for this church. I thank you so much for each and every individual that makes up our church family. Um, God, I'm thankful for the work that you're doing in their life. I pray that you would continue that work um, as we wait for you to return. Father, we anticipate that day. We look forward to that day. I pray that our hope would be in that day. Uh, not in anything this world has to offer, but hope in the, in the world that is to come where we get to join side by side with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.